COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. Symptoms of this respiratory disease include fever, cough, and sharpness of breath. These symptoms may show up 2 to 14 days after exposure. If you're experiencing these symptoms and have come in contact with or in an area with an ongoing outbreak, please call a hotline and or consult a physician. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov COVID-19. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the I Am Cannabis Sativa podcast. I'm your host, Dan Scotland. If you are currently a medical marijuana patient and want to tell your story and be featured on the podcast, feel free to email me at IamCannabisSativa at gmail.com. Feel free to hit us up on Instagram at IamCannabisSativa. You can also find me on Twitter at ICSativaPod. You can find and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor FM, Overcast, Radio Republic, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play Music Store, and more. Please rate and review us on iTunes as rating and reviewing us will bump up the pod on their algorithm and put this podcast in front of even more eyeballs. If you like what we are doing, please become a Patreon supporter of the podcast and support us. Supporting us helps us to keep the lights on, pay rent, pay for hosting, equipment, and travel. And you can do this by going to https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash I am Cannabis Sativa podcast slash support. You can also support me now on Patreon at www dot patreon.com slash IC Sativa podcast. You can support this podcast for as little as $1 a month. We also have a $5 tier if you're feeling extra generous. A special thanks to our current patrons and supporters. Shout out to friends of the show Reefer Revolution for supporting the podcast. Shout out to our new Patreon and friend of the show Gracie Gatto. Shout out also to Joy One Love 420, also a friend of the show and founder of Keystone State Reviews. Becoming a Patreon or financially supporting us through Anchor, Patreon, PayPal gets you perks like early episodes, exclusives, and, and shout outs at the beginning of every episode. We also have been recently syndicated by friend of the show, Russ Belfill, and will now be featured weekly on Radical Russ Radio right before his show from Monday, 7 a.m., Tuesday, 9 a.m., Wednesday, 11 a.m., Thursday, 1 p.m., and Friday, 3 p.m., all mountain times. And without further ado, let's get to the episode. Hello. Hey, Dan. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? Pretty good. Let me just close the door here real quick. Sure. All right. So, how's, how's your day going? It's going pretty good. It's going really good. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, so to sort of start things off, um, so could you sort of, um, give a little bit of a background about what you do, um, what your background is in cannabis and how you 
how and why you wanted to get involved in point of sale uh, software? Yeah, so my, my, my background has been working as a consultant, uh, as a business consultant. And the way I got started in this, am I echoing? Um, I, I don't really hear an echo right now. I don't know if it's on okay. my end or... Must be, okay. So that, that's kind of how I got started. I had a couple of clients, one that was a grower and another one that got a patent to infuse CBD and THC into edibles. And from there, consulting with them, they were having issues primarily with QuickBooks. On the onset, QuickBooks was not allowing them to use their system. So, you know, they got notification from QuickBooks that said, hey, uh, we don't want you to use our system anymore. And so that's what inspired us to develop a POS system called CAS 420 in an accounting system called CAS 400. Awesome. Um, so, um, in, in terms of, um, in terms of sort of point of sale, um, from what I know and from what I've been like researching about sort of Washington's history with sort of cannabis, um, like from what I know, like they, the state didn't really start off with dispensaries, even though, even when they, when they were medical at first. And then eventually they ended up getting more dispensaries and then adult use sort of kicked in. So how, like, how would you describe the process of getting sort of a underground market or unofficial market into the uh, point of sale system? Well, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to do that, uh, at least with our system, right? Uh, because our system, we're compliant with all the state uh, reporting systems. So in Washington, it's leaf data. In Oregon and Alaska and a majority of the West Coast, it's a system called Metric, M-E-R-T-C. And then there's Biotrax, uh, Helix, that, are report, that gather all of that information and then upload it to a state compliance board. And in Washington's case, that would be the you know, Liquor, Liquor and Cannabis Board uh, compliance group. And for us to be compliant, we can only, for us, we have a third party integrator with Metric. And so we have to confirm and verify that each one of our consumers on the POS or the CAS 400 accounting system have a legal license to dispense and sell either recreational or medical cannabis. Awesome, awesome. Um, to sort of like, to sort of um, feed off that um, question, um, so could you describe like sort of the very beginning of um, like the major industry in, in Washington, like the very beginning of adult use and, you know, getting this system up from beginning to end um, in the state? Yeah, so what we did is we spent about a year, a little over a year uh, in both markets right so we spent some time in the grower side and we spent some time on the retail side the dispensary side and what we realized was is that this industry was so new and there was no one product that could offer services to the industry there were off-shelf products but they weren't they weren't built or could accommodate the cannabis industry's needs 
nor the requirements that were required by the, the, the you know, in this, in Washington, you know, the Liquor Cannabis Board, in Oklahoma, you know, the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana uh, Agency. And so what we did is we sat there and we compiled all the requirements. So what we did initially is we went out to the states and we met with each state compliance regulatory board and said, hey, what do you need? And how do you need it in? And what what snapshots or timeframes do you need those in? Then we went to the to the industry on both sides and said, how are you currently managing this? And a majority of them were just using uh, a spreadsheet or some, <laughs> some real inexpensive uh, QuickBooks. And then we asked them, okay, here's what the state requires. How simplified do you need that? And so basically we took the advice of one of our our, our per people and they said, well, you got to make it stoner proof. I said, okay. So we said, okay, let's make it stoner proof. Stoner proof, then we realized was only three steps, right? You log on to the system, you go to where you need to go, you either, you either tracking it, inventorying it, or you're selling it and it's being sold to the consumer or to the dispensary. So we made it a four-step process. Uh, our competitors and off the shelves were either six and in some cases, 10-step processes, right? That was really irritating the end user on the cannabis side, right? So either the owner that was the, the butt tender or the grower and, and the cultivator. And to sort of like add on to that, um, so you, you mentioned that you, you guys met with a bunch of other sort of states. Um, with with um, sort of the green sweep that happened um, this November with um, New Jersey, which um, which also has around the same population as um, Washington State, and they're also looking at a um, adult use model that won't sort of have um, home growth. So with a, like another big market like New Jersey, and I think Virginia is looking at full adult use. Um, what would you recommend to those sort of states that are looking into it? Like, what what sort of pitfalls do they have to keep in mind? What sort of um, things should they sort of note when when going into this and creating this from the bottom up? And are you talking from the compliance, like the state agency, or the business owner, the cannabis business owner? Both. Okay. Well, from the state side, what I would say is the state needs to go in and they need to look at other model states, whether it's Washington, Oregon, California, or Alaska or Colorado. Look at those state models and how they implemented those. Then I would, my recommendation would be to those states is to look at do they have the resources to manage that internally? And if they do, they should. If they don't, then they should look at a third-party integrator to help them get to that. But I think that each state needs to really understand their market, understand their users, and understand, try to, to really understand what they're looking to get metrics on. We know that they want to know the inventory levels. We know that they want to know the sales level. And... They want to make sure that they know the waste level, whatever, all of those different levels. Is there a standard format that every state could use that makes it simplified? So moving forward, if it gets legalized nationally, no one has to recreate the wheel. 
Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So that if I buy an ounce or a gram of, you know, Dan's Best Kush in Oregon, that I'm going to be guaranteed the same THC level, all of those in Washington or Idaho or Colorado, right? That those, that all of those, that all of those, are stay, stay the same. From the business side, uh, as a grower or a retailer, a lot of our startups and the cost to start a business up is astronomical. Between the fees, the legal fees, getting everything structured correctly, and then you know to to buy the equipment. So what we did is we went in, we took all of that into in, into and we looked at it and we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We are going to offer clients who want to buy our product a, a nominal fee of $299. We don't care if you have one POS, if you have 10 POSs. The same as we don't care if you have one user or if you have 15 users, it's $299 a month flat fee. One other thing that we did is if you had stuff on a spreadsheet or you had stuff in, a, in another system, we're going to take that stuff, download it, and upload it into our system at no fee to you because wow. it's your data. It's your data. It's your information. If we want your business, we're going to take that and upload it for free. The, second, the third thing that we did is we made our system useful on either platforms. It's either operating systems. It's either Windows, iOS, or, or iMac or Android. It will work on any one of those, either on a mobile phone, a tablet, or a laptop. Then what we did is we said, now that we have all of those, where, what do we do to make it so that it's not so cost inhibitive for them to do this? So we don't sell hardware. What we do is we work with our clients to find inexpensive hardware, whether it's a laptop, a tower, an iPad, a any type of pad that's out there. And we try to find any of the refurbished equipment. We send, we, we have various uh, links that we can send them to so that they can buy that stuff at an inexpensive price and not be gouged by saying, you gotta buy this equipment for us for 10, six, eight, nine thousand dollars whatever it may be. Then what we did is we added to that component as we grew and said, okay, now they need to they need to have an e-commerce. So we developed an e-commerce platform called Canna Traffic. For $99, basically $100 a month, clients of ours can can buy the subscription which takes their inventory from our system, uploads it into Canna Traffic real time. So that if I live in Kent and the dispensary that I'm looking to buy my stuff is out in uh, um, Linwood, I can go in and say, oh yeah, they have a hundred pre-rolls of, of, of Canterbury. I want to reserve 10. So you go into the system, you reserve those 10. On the back end, what it does is it takes those 10 out of inventory and reflects there's 90 available in the store and there's 90 available online. And then each client gives you a certain amount of time to get there and buy that. So if it's an hour, if you don't go and buy that within the hour, then it goes back in inventory and it removes it out of your cart. So there's a hundred left. The section ops, the, the, what that also does is it gives the dispensary an opportunity to not compete like they have to on Leafly or Weed Maps 
with a hundred other dispensaries in that zip code. This is a direct link just to their inventory. So you as a consumer aren't seeing what A shop has or Z shop has, all you're seeing is what Canterbury has. And if there's something in that inventory you like. On the grower side, we offer the same thing, but for the grower, what it does with our system, if you're using our system, is you go in and you put the, the grow date that you started the plant or the, clone, the seed or the clone, and then as you're going through that phase, you have an anticipated harvest date. And so if the harvest date is on the 30th of this month, I can go in and say, on average, we're harvesting 100 pounds of this product. I can then allow people into my portal, retailers into my portal, to pre-order, not pay, but pre-order, 10, 20, 30 pounds of that 100 pounds. So that midway through the growth cycle, I would then know that, hey, I only need to sell 50 of the 100 pounds because I've already pre-sold 50 of it. I've already got 50 buyers that are going to buy this. Although they can't pay for it until they receive the product. But I know that these, these 50 pounds are sold for. So as you get closer and closer to that day, maybe your, sell, your, your price point is 40 but you've you got to sell it, you got to sell it because you don't want that inventory on hand, you want to get rid of it, then our system calculates your, your cost of goods to what it costs to grow that, to grow that, and then gives you a recommended price point. So from 40 to 35, 35 as the days wind down, so that finally maybe you have to sell it for what you have invested in it at $20. And then that $20, you know, the retailer buys it, and the, hopefully the consumer at the end is getting that product at a reduced price as well. So collaborating in that way so that they begin to, to utilize analytics to see what grows best, what sells best, and what their average harvest is, so that they know, hey, this is what we, this is what we should be growing because we're losing money here and we're losing money there, or it's taking too much fertilizer or too much water for, uh, for another product. Then what we did is we moved from that to can of traffic. A lot of, a lot of businesses, both on the retailer and the grower side, don't understand the impacts of 280E, which is the IRS code for cost of goods for both growers and retailers. And so our team is made up of a CPA and a former IRS auditor that also has a CPA background that's able to go through and analyze your cost of goods, making sure that they're put into the correct into the correct categories and that any equipment that you buy that is, can be used under those categories is, is, is placed under those categories. And then we, we, we can do your quarterly, we can do your monthly, and your payroll tax returns for you. So we're, we're trying to be the one-stop shop as well as collaborate with entrepreneurs that are offering services, whether they're entrepreneurs that build websites and introduce them to the cannabis industry, to build websites for cannabis stores, cannabis growers, uh, and, and, and trying to really get people to the point where they realize that this is, has been classified as a drug for a long time, but it really is, it has medicinal purposes. And there are a number of, <clears throat> we've seen a number of, excuse me, We've seen a number, of, uh, an increase in sales for depression and anxiety on the medical side because of the depression and uh, because of the pandemic. Wow. <laughs>
Wow. Yeah. I, yeah. I would imagine like, like, like all throughout like the legal states, including mine, like, um, like recreational sales, like went through, went through the roof. Um, a lot of people are, you know, using it over the counter to treat depression, to treat anxiety. And that sort of segues into my next question. Um, like, like so because like because of covid and because of more people like purchasing cannabis like do you find that people now are buying more edibles or tinctures to sort of um to sort of avoid directly combusting the product and keeping their lungs in the best shape possible in case they were to contract covid well, we're noticing, we're definitely noticing an increase in tinctures, but we are definitely, definitely noticing an increase in, um, in edibles. And uh, when you look at what the market has available, if you go to a particular store, you may see it kind of has a Costco effect. You better buy it while it's there, the amount that you can buy, because if you come back in a week, it may not be there. Yeah. You know, or or it may be another two weeks before they get inventory in. You know, because the, the demand has grown, and I don't know that the processors have been able to get enough product in to meet that demand. For sure, um, like like the the like like no one could have expected that we would have like a pandemic like this, and that um, demand would would shoot up like like crazy, like it's been shooting up. But, um, like I, like it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing that like, you know, when the, when, you know, Washington and Colorado were first legalizing, like to all the politicians, this was seen as a low priority issue. This was seen as, oh, people are just getting a medical card because they, they want to secretly, you know, get high or whatever. But now, like in all the states, it's been deemed an essential service and cannabis workers have been deemed essential workers. Um, so our, so to sort of add on to that, um, like, so are people just buying a lot of like, like, are people just buying like a lot, lot of edibles, like in terms of like, you know, like chocolates or, you know, candies or whatever, or is it like more of a variety of things? Yeah, I think what we're seeing in our analytics that we're feeding back to our retail shops are that they're seeing a large increase in uh, in the edible market. And when you're seeing tra average transactions of 80 to $120 because somebody's going in and buying $400 or $450 of, uh, of edibles is evident to not only the retailer, but to us on the, on the analytics side, that the consumer base has grown from its standard user to those users that either are being diagnosed with depression or anxiety or users who just don't want to use alcohol and tend to use the edible because they're not putting any weight on, right? They're essentially not gaining weight as quick. The other piece of that is, uh, Deanne, is that you're seeing now a large number of white collar workers who are consuming the product. Whereas before you didn't see, prior to the pandemic, you saw a, a, you know, a, maybe a 3% use of that. But if you look at stores that are, that are located in Redmond or Bellevue, uh, or in, in this case, if you look at stores that are located in Factoria that are near 
you know, but uh, not far from Mercer Island or Beaux Arts, and you look at the, the amount of sales in the increase, we know that leads us to believe that white collar workers, professionals, are consuming the product. Wow. Well, that's that's fascinating. Like um, when I was like, like when I did sort of white collar work, it was just like, like I don't know. Like I mean, I could I could see I could see why it'd sort of be shocking that the that they're that they're consuming so much more. Because I remember when I worked sort of um, office jobs and stuff, like I was very very hush hush about my usage. Um, but it, it it seems that now with the pandemic and now that people need you know, ways and outlets to let out their depression and anxiety, you know, this, the stigmas are breaking down across the board. Um, so do you notice that like, um, that the age range is also changing too, or more older people, you know, checking it out or. Well, I think what we're seeing the growth is, uh, um, is not the baby boomers, but the generation below them. And I can't remember what they are. Gen X. The, Okay, the Gen X group is consuming more right now, but the new, the, the people that are just turning 21, and I don't know what generation they're called, Zoomers. are the new, are, are, you know, are, are the new consumers, right? They don't have the buying power that Gen X and the millennials have, right? Because they're they're just turning 21, and their buying power is isn't as great because they don't have jobs, right? Or they're or they're or they're trying to find a job. Or their job is barely, you know, they're barely making enough so that they have to partner with somebody to buy buy their supplies. So they're not buying as much. But once we get through that pandemic, that generation is the new consumer, right? And so you have to be able to offer something to them that's instant, right? That's instant. They, it's got to catch their eye in the store, and it's got to catch them from a euphoria feeling phase, right? Because, because although they may have consumed some on the black market or may have gotten some from someone that was older and bought them, now they're able to go in and choose what they like, if they know what they like, or able to go in and try stuff and figure out what they like. So as we develop our platforms, we have to begin to develop it for that end user, right? And that end user has been brought up using uh, technology and, and, and devices since the day they were born. And so our services have to be able to be a three-click service, right? Go to the website, type in what you want, Stevia, you know, go in and look at it, Indica, go in and look at it, figure what you like, and out you go, right? And then you purchase it. It can't be, I got to go to the website, I got to figure out, what they have, they don't have it listed, and then it's got to be a simplified process. And as, sure. those, as those workers move into the retail side, because they're able to work in the retail side now, the systems they use have to be the same way. They have to be relatively easy and quick and very responsive. For sure. Um, so only have I only have like three more sort of questions um so so what effect do you believe that um because I've, I've been reading some articles like um through through the web and stuff and like 
like I know for a number of years Washington State has been trying to like get home grow um and from what I've read, like the dispensaries, like the dispensaries are like some of them are sort of pushing for home grow as well too for people. Um, so if, if if home grow like becomes a thing within the few within the next few years, do you think that a lot of people are just going to switch to growing their own, and that the sort of the retail numbers will go down significantly significantly, or do you do you think it'll just be like I don't know, gradual or, or something like that? Well, Dan, I think that when we get to the homegrown, it's really going to be, there's people that have been homegrown for decades, right? Because they, 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 they imbibed in the product and they liked the product and they shared the product with friends and family. But I think what we have to be very cautious of, very cautious of, is making sure that the home grows are growing it and given the affordability to sell it on the open yeah. market retailers who may need it because there's a shortage or to processors who may need it because there's a shortage, right? Um, but I think if we don't do that, we're going to cause a severe rift on the retail side. And the retail side and the grower side has much more buying power, much more clout than the home grower. And I would hope that what we would do is we would look at it from a collaborative point of view, saying that if you can grow up to six plants, you can sell five up to those five plants products to a processor or a retailer, right? Or that, well, probably just the processor so they can package it and get it out, right? But give there an opportunity for them to make some money and add money to the coffer. The other thing I think is the state has to realize how much money this industry has put into the state tax coffer. And now what they need to do is they need to be able to afford, and I'm talking afford communities of color, depressed communities, the opportunity to participate in this market, either as home growers, retailers or cultivators but there's enough money in there now in those coffers that we should be able to say okay beacon uh beacon hill needs a shop okay white center needs a shop not that we're not that we're pandering to those communities but those communities need to reap the reward of buying and selling the product like bellevue kirkland you know seattle sure um yeah i mean i totally agree with that like um like i rem like from what i've researched like california before they went adult use they were very much like that where you know craft growers could sell directly to the dispensaries and yeah. you know make, make make sort of extra money and i think michigan um like within the first few years of their medical program, they were very sort of small grower, small farmer, and people were able to sell directly to their dispensaries. But um, but now I've noticed with those states, like it's like they've they've sort of clamped down on those sort of laws, and big cannabis has it's the the, the laws have been favoring big cannabis in in those respective states from my research. Um, but yeah, I mean that's it's infinitely important that there are entry points for 
all sorts of people that want to sort of get into the industry, that it's not just you have to spend millions of dollars to open a retail shop or um, you you have to work with the... If you want to work with the can in the cannabis business, you have to work with the big dispensaries and and then so on and so forth. Like in my state, it was such a huge fight to to um, get um, cannabis delivery, and um, we had a provision that allows um, drug war victims to have an exclusivity, a three year exclusivity period on on selling delivery. And like the big dispensaries were trying to make it so that. Um, that they had a, it had to be like a carrier model, but um, but we we what pushed back. What was that? What state are you in? Oh, um, Massachusetts. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and so you you think about uh, you think about uh, the opportunities that are there, but you also have to think about the the amount of money that's being driven into this industry, right? And when you have large consortiums in this term where you know there's people with a lot of money who can invest hundred thousand half a million dollars in a girl operation or a, uh, a chain of dispensaries what we do then is we begin to uh, we begin to create the the Walmarts or the Walgreens and we we leave aside the local you know mop and, mom and pop pharmacies right because they can't compete at those levels, they can't they can't buy at those levels, because it's volume driven. So we have to be very cautious of that. If we want to make this an industry that is collaborative and inclusive, we have to make sure that we limit large players and allow small players to move into the market. And this is no different than being Anheuser Busch or Coors. And being Samuel Adams and the local and, and, and the local uh, microbrew, right? You you should be able to buy uh, hops from any broker at the same price. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it, like they shouldn't. The the barriers of entry should sort of be as limited and as small as 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 possible um i believe with oregon they they made a huge effort of uh, making it so like they made the barriers entry pretty low they they made a very big effort to bring in all the black market and legacy market people into the fold like it was it was it was it was made an actual policy choice and priority there um but um what what i i i like my final sort of question would be um what 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 do you what reforms do you anticipate happening and affecting the washington state cannabis scene you know in the coming years like what do you like in terms of point of sale in terms of you know consumer choices in in, in terms of just you know cannabis in general well, what I've seen in Washington is we do have a group uh, of individuals that are working with the state to bring more people of color in, a more diverse community uh, owners, uh, growers. In Washington State is a perfect example of we had Sean Kemp, the former NBA player with the Seattle Supersonics, who is the first African-American dispensary owner. And, wow. And so... If we can get there, then we can move forward, right? Because we can get other people, other communities involved. 
But that goes to say again, you've got to have a substantial amount of resources to get to that point, right? Because you've got to have the money for the lease, you've got to have the money for the equipment, you've got to have the money for the insurance and security and all of those things that you need to open a dispensary. And then all of the people to be vetted and all of the funds to be vetted so that you can open your store on day one. And what we want to do at Canterbury is we want to work as a consortium throughout the cannabis industry and find ways and solutions to one, keep everyone compliant, two, keep our communities healthy, and three, make this a prosperous endeavor for everyone involved and for those that are looking on the outside of it and questioning why, let them see the value that the tax dollars are coming in for roads, school, healthcare, social need programs, and any other systems that are being allowed the affordability because of the tax that's being imposed on the cannabis industry. In Washington state, the cannabis tax is 37%. In the city that we're in right now, Bellevue, it's 10%. So couple that together, you're paying 47% tax on the purchase of a cannabis product. But um, I, I heard that, like, even though, like, the tax is around, like, 37% in Washington, like, they're they're amongst, like, the cheapest in the country, even though there's a 30-something percent tax. Um, like, is it, would you say it's because the, the market in Washington State is that, like, efficient and that well-run? It's, it's why they, they can have, like, a tax like that, but still, like, the, the vendors are still able to charge a very competitive price. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to, to supply and demand, right? Right now, they're meeting the supply and demand. Uh, but, as we, we, but as we know, as the pandemic hit, those supplies got, sourcing got tougher, right? Because we saw an increase in edibles. And so to make edibles, you had, you had to use much more product to get to that oil and, and get to that point. So I think that although prices are are somewhat stable i would assume that as this market develops much like the alcohol industry there's going to be these little increases along the way for sure um so i'll let you have the uh, the last word um is there so larry um where can where can people find you um and are there any sort of projects or things you want to plug yeah, so right now, uh, our website is Canaveri, C-A-N-A-V-E-R-I.com. And we are a one-stop solution for the cannabis industry, whether you're a grower or a retail dispensary. We offer the point-of-sale, seed-to-sale tracking system, we offer, which is our CAS 420 product. We offer an accounting system, which is our CAS 400, which will do payroll, handle your payroll records, your accounting and tax records, your quarterly taxes, your state taxes. And then we have Canna Traffic, which is gonna which is our new our newest product, which is the e-commerce portal, which is unique to Canterbury in that it gives you real time inventory if you're using our Canterbury CAS 420 product. 
so that, as I mentioned earlier, Dan, if you have something and you want to reserve it, you can reserve it. The latest venture we went off onto as well is the cashless ATM. So we've partnered with a company that's providing our clients on both on the grower side, on the delivery side, and on the retail side, and a way for them to increase their average sale by having a cashless ATM at the register, which is no bigger than my iPhone or someone's Android phone. So again, we're at Canterbury.com, and our number here is 800-858-0729, and we're available 24-7 no matter what time zone you're in in the United States. Awesome, awesome. Um, I, I learned a lot from this um, interview, Larry. Um, it was a pleasure having you. Um, thank you very much for taking the time to come on to our podcast. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity, and uh, everyone have a safe and happy new year. Awesome. You too. If you find yourself coming around often to my podcast and want to support our humble little project, there are quite a few ways you can do so. Supporting us helps us keep the lights on, pay rent, pay for hosting, equipment, and travel. You can do this by going to https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash i am canvas sativa podcast slash support you can also support me now on patreon at www.patreon.com slash ic sativa podcast you can support the podcast for as little as one dollar a month we also have a five dollar and above tier if you are feeling extra generous additionally if you wish to get in contact with us you can leave a voice message on anchor and you can do this by going to h https colon slash slash anchor dot fm slash i am canvas sativa podcast and click the send voice message button and i may just play it on a future episode you can also call and leave a voice message at 617-466-9389 and i may just play it on a future episode feel free to join the ever expanding i am canvas sativa podcast planet on discord we yes we've got a discord channel and that discord channel can be found at https colon slash slash discord dot gg greg greg slash 65TG2NR. Again, that is HTTPS colon slash slash discord dot GG slash 65TG2NR. Feel free to check out Sequoia Organics for a great source of CBD and hemp based products. You can check them out by the link HTTPS colon slash BIT dot LY slash 33FKRV9. And you can enter the following coupon codes for extra discounts, such as Dog Treat 20, Tincture 20, 40% sign off ISO, 15% sign off CBD. And that applies to the entire store. And as always, everyone, stay medicated, my friends. Peace out and ciao.